In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 1 through 26. Paul is determined to go to Jerusalem despite the warnings of the Holy Spirit and the pleas of his fellow believers. In Caesarea, a prophet named Agabus foretells that Paul will be bound and delivered to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. Paul's companions and the local Christians urge him not to go, but Paul is ready to face imprisonment and death for the sake of Christ. Paul then visits James and the elders of the Jerusalem church who rejoice at his report of God's work among the Gentiles, but they're concerned about rumors that he is teaching Jews to abandon the law of Moses. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Thursday, August 24th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, as we tag along with Paul and Luke and Timothy and all the others as they make their way toward, uh, uh, toward where they're going, I'm pleased to welcome to the show the Reverend Levi Wilms. He's pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church in Yankton, South Dakota. Good morning, Pastor, and welcome to the program. Good morning. Good to be with you, Phil. Well, it's excellent to have you on the program. Now, you are in Yankton, South Dakota. Now, here I am in the southwest corner of Minnesota. Where would I be in relation to you? Well, I actually actually used to be in Yankton, South Dakota. So uh, I took a call up to Trinity Lutheran Church in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. So I am uh, in the St. Cloud area. And so I came up here in June, just moved uh, from Yankton. So, uh, well, okay. Well, I'm sorry about that. I should. <laughs> no, have that's that all right. Time. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you tell us some more things about yourself? Maybe there's some other things that I need to know. <laughs> tell, the, <laughs> t- tell the folks at home a little bit about how God is working through you and the saints there at, what'd you say, Trinity in Trinity. Yeah. yeah. And so very excited to be up here. Uh, We had a great uh, ministry down at St. John's as well, but now I am associate pastor here. Uh, We're definitely uh, looking to continue uh, growth amongst families. And so I'm uh, kind of a family associate pastor here, uh, working to train and and develop uh, ways for families to disciple their children. And uh, we've adapted already some of the confirmation stuff and looking at Sunday school in the future as well to really uh, uh, equip uh, parents in the process of discipling their children. And so exciting stuff going on here at Trinity uh, in, in Sauk Rapids. And then also uh, my family has come with me. I have a wife, Jessica, and five children. So they range from 15 down to seven. Uh, so Adeline is going to be a sophomore in Karsten, eighth grade, and Clara, sixth grade, and Elise is uh, fourth grade, and little Caleb, uh, we adopted him from China, and he is going into second grade. And so uh, exciting uh, times for our family as school is coming up as well. 
Absolutely. And it sounds like you've got your hands full with uh, both stuff at home and at work. And uh, But you know what? I know the Lord's going to bless you and your ministry, yeah. and I'm just grateful that you took some time out of what I am certain is a busy schedule to, uh, to help us with our text this morning. Before we get into it, though, would you start our time together in prayer, please? Sure, Phil. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, as we look at our text from Acts 21 today, um, and we see the, the commitment of Paul uh, to go where you have sent him to go, uh, despite the cost, uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would encourage us to know in the midst of our walk with you that you are with us always uh, in good times and in the struggles that are ahead. Uh, we know that the cross of Christ is our, our sure foundation, uh, that we can face uh, the things that are ahead, uh, knowing that you are always with us. And we pray that encouragement that Paul receives from the other believers, uh, that that also would be an encouragement for us in our walk with you. Bless our time together as we uh, talk about the text uh, from Acts. Amen. Amen. Well, I tell you what, one good thing for us to do is to, I guess, help the listeners catch up where we've been, just in case they missed yesterday's episode. Uh, you know, sure. we're starting with Paul getting ready to go to Jerusalem, but maybe we should let them know what happened in the moments leading up to this. For sure. Well, it came right out of his time uh, meeting with the, the believers in Ephesus, and um, already there's this foreshadowing of going to Jerusalem and what is awaiting Paul. Uh, already back uh, in chapter 20, it talks about, uh, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Uh, which kind of sets up a little bit our text for today, where it becomes more clear uh, what is going to happen to him there. But the, the Holy Spirit is moving and driving Paul uh, towards Jerusalem. Uh, he's been committed for some time to go there, and the uh, believers are uh, gathered around uh, Paul and, and supporting him, also maybe a little apprehensive about these things, uh, which is what you get when you get that very first line uh, from Acts 21. It will talk about how they they parted. Uh, you could even translate the word there uh, a kind of they were torn away <laughs> from one another. Um, there was a, a great joy to be gathered together with the believers in Ephesus. Uh, Paul was uh, well-known by them and uh, had a deep affection for them. And uh, now there seems to be this kind of tearing apart now as he heads towards uh, Jerusalem. Well, let's get into that then. Uh, 21, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Sure. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from theirs to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come into the sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our days were ended, we departed, and we went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, 
we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board to the ship, and they returned home. So stopping there, so you mentioned earlier that the Holy Spirit is pushing Paul toward Jerusalem, and yet here we have the disciples who care greatly now, especially these ones that have surrounded Paul, but it says here that by the Spirit they're urging him not to go on to Jerusalem because they know bad things are going to happen. How do we reconcile that? Is is the Spirit wanting him to go to Jerusalem or not? <laughs> well, there's Phil, there tends to be a lot of debate uh, about this. Uh, and really, you're getting down to, is Paul being obedient to the Spirit, or is he being disobedient uh, to the Spirit? And there's there are people that kind of come down on both sides of that. Uh, I would contend that here Paul is being obedient. Uh, so there is this prophecy or there is this discussion about what Paul is going to face. And it's not strange that uh, his companions and uh, the people that he has gathered around, when they hear the challenges and the suffering uh, that awaits, um, might start to add their own interpretation. And um, I would contend that's a little bit what is happening here. Um, and, and this is all still a part of what the Spirit is doing. Uh, the Spirit is preparing Paul uh, for what is ahead. And um, it's kind of like, I don't know, in a sense, like if you if you had a, a boxer or something, right. Or, or maybe even, uh, or maybe you just think a football team, right. And you, uh, want to talk about how good the other team is. And the more you talk about how good they are and challenging they are, right. Uh, the more it kind of, uh, makes you not scared of them, but it makes you kind of ready to face the challenge. And so you elevate in a sense, um, what is, what is about to come. And so it, it seems to kind of work that way for Paul, that the spirit is using, um, what is coming, not in a sense, and we'll see this a bit more fully as Paul gets to the end, but not in a sense to deter him, but actually to, to create even a stronger resolve uh, to go and face what is ahead. And so uh, I would say it's not a contradiction that the Spirit is doing, but the Spirit is preparing Paul uh, to be obedient um, and to uh, be ready for what he is about to face. Uh, for it is going to take, uh, with the Spirit's help, everything Paul has uh, to go towards this. And so obviously the believers, they <laughs> they don't want this, but we, we will see as we move through the text, they start to uh, settle in that this must be what God is actively doing. And so we as kind of readers of this, I think it's good to acknowledge that sometimes we have a, a tendency maybe to kind of put a spin on things or put our own interpretation on on what maybe the Holy Spirit is doing. Uh, but we see that Paul is abundantly convinced that uh, this is exactly where the Holy Spirit is leading. He's leading him to head on to Jerusalem where he will uh, suffer uh, at the hands uh, of the people there. 
Yeah, I, I tend to, you know, go back to chapter 20, verse 22. It says, Behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. You mentioned that earlier, mm-hmm. not yeah. knowing what will happen to me there. And then by the time we get to 21, yeah, I tend to lean towards this idea that the, the disciples, it's being revealed to them what will happen. Yeah. And what then they have to do is, well, what do I do with this information, right? So, so he's going to be bound up. He's going to be persecuted as if he hasn't already plenty of times. And, and they, but it's going, to in, it's going to be more intense and it's going to increase. And so they say, well, we must be uh, being made privy to this so that we can prevent him from going. And so that's, right. the, that's the paradox. They say, we think we know this because you're not supposed to go, but Paul is resolved that, no, he is supposed to go. But now, unlike in verse 22 of the last chapter, he now knows what is going to wait for him. So, and I, and I like that perspective that you gave that, if nothing else, that might even encourage him. He, he, he's going and he's fighting the cause and he's going to suffer for the cause. And remember, the early disciples considered suffering to be connected to the sufferings of Christ. Much different than today where we try to avoid suffering at absolutely any cost. Yeah, it's interesting in this text that, um, you know, some commentaries will highlight the fact that Luke is showing how Jesus um, and Paul heading to Jerusalem has kind of this comparison. Luke is, as Jesus has his passion predictions and the disciples kind of are resistant of that, uh, we see kind of the same thing here with Paul. Uh, and I'm not even sure it's so intentional by Luke uh, to to show that Paul is kind of walking in the same route that Jesus did. Uh, other than the fact that that's just reality, uh, as we follow Jesus, uh, there are sufferings and temptations and those things that we will face, uh, and all of us on different levels, uh, depending on you know God's God's path for us. But as we pick up our cross and follow Jesus, uh, we see, in a sense, Paul is facing similar things. But the Holy Spirit, as he was directing Jesus towards Jerusalem, uh, the Holy Spirit now is directing Paul towards Jerusalem, and he is using his interactions with the other believers. And it's not quite in the same sense, right, where Peter says, how dare this happen to you, right? Um, the, the the believers are, are trying to encourage him, but we'll see that there is also an incredible openness uh, as we move through the text to uh, ultimately we're going to trust what God is doing. Uh, and so there's kind of all these things working in a sense to, to move Paul and, and to, to build up his commitment uh, towards what the Holy Spirit is leading to. Well, let's see what happens next. Uh, yeah. Luke says, then we went on board the ship and they returned home, picking up with verse seven. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet in his hands, and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, 
What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready, not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days we got ready, we went into Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Okay, pausing there at the end of 16. <laughs> yeah. So, we have all kinds of folks coming on the scene here, right? We, we have Philip the Evangelist and his prophesying unmarried daughters. We have Agabus. Um, take us through who these people are. Uh, Philip the Evangelist especially, right? So um, he's one of the seven. Uh, the seven who, brother? Um, the seven uh, deacons that we had from earlier in the, as they wanted to d- divide up the task so that the apostles could uh, focus on the prayer and the preaching of the word. Um, kind of connected, probably the other famous one we know is from uh, Stephen. Um uh, who was martyred, but uh, what a wonderful name, right? Philip the Evangelist. Oh, wouldn't that be uh, great if we all could be known as, you know, Levi the Evangelist, <laughs> you know, as uh, Philip was um, obviously one who shared the message of Christ with the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, now has landed himself in Caesarea, but he is known by one who shares good news, uh, one that uh, uh, goes around and, and, and shares what Christ has done. And uh, one thing that you get kind of cap- captured by in this account, um, when you slow down, I, I always appreciate uh, doing a show like this and that, you know, I really got to dive into this text and slow down and pick out things. There's all these names of places where Paul uh, and Luke are traveling. And, and it's interesting that you're just finding Christians everywhere. Um, some of these towns are not there. There's no discussion earlier in Acts about Paul specifically going there and starting a church, um, you know, but uh, there's all these things that are going on behind the scenes. Uh, Acts is an incomplete account of the the early church. And so Paul here is arriving and they're finding believers. And he arrives at this city, and they find believers. And he arrives at another city, and he find believers. And here, Philip had uh, had been working in Caesarea, and there's believers there. And then, I mean, it's just as you go through this, there's, um, I'd have to think it's quite encouraging for Paul. Um, yes, he thinks of all the work he does, uh, establishing churches on his missionary journeys. Uh, but as he comes to these cities, um, there are believers uh, everywhere, even though as a percentage, uh, Christianity is quite small at this time. Uh, what great en- enjoyment he is finding in all of these cities, there's disciples of Christ. Um, which I think sometimes maybe we struggle a little bit uh, uh, if we're looking at numbers and we see decline here, decline there. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's just there is great joy and great delight that there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, everywhere he's going, there's there's a Christian community there. And in uh, every place he lands, he goes and finds them. And so uh, Paul arrives, he, he meets Philip. Uh, Philip has these four unmarried daughters. There's not a lot we know about them other than they, they do prophesy, they speak the word. Um, uh, although it is kind of interesting, you would think, 
Okay, well, maybe we'll get another uh, prophecy from these daughters. Uh, they can maybe split it up and each give 25% of it or something. But then here comes another person, right? And God has, you know, why? I don't know. But God uh, has directed this Agabus uh, to come down from uh, out of town, from Judea. Uh, and uh, here by the Holy Spirit, Agabus has another word, uh, another word for Paul. Uh, as he continues to prepare him and the disciples around Paul uh, for what is ahead. There's a couple of things I think are are fascinating to take away from, even in addition to what you've said, because we have Philip the mm-hmm. Evangelist, and as you noted, Philip was a deacon. So evangelism yeah. isn't something that is you know, confined to the office of holy ministry or the public office of ministry. This Philip isn't a, a pastor. He isn't an overseer. He's he's a deacon. He's an evangelist, but he's out there telling people about Jesus, at least so much that he gets this nickname to distinguish him from other maybe Greek Philips they knew. And mm-hmm. he had these unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, I think you'd agree that we don't know the nature of the prophecy done by them, but you can think of Anna in the temple, right? When, when mm-hmm. Nic- uh, not Nicodemus, but uh, when uh, Simeon was there and the Christ child was presented and Anna was there, the prophetess. You think of Moses's uh, Miriam who led the women in song on the banks of the Red Sea. So uh, tell us, I, I mean, how is it that we can not misuse this text? People who look at this and say, well, here you see... Uh, Philip the Evangelist, you see women prophesying, then this is all indicative of something about the pastoral office. But that's not the case. Tell us how we can better understand this prophesying. I think in a lot of ways we don't want to to bind the work of the Holy Spirit um, uh, We always want to check what is prophesied uh, against ultimately what Christ is doing. Um, and then God, in some senses, will reveal as well uh, that which is true and that which is false. Uh, we see this many times in the Old Testament uh, where, where God's prophets um, are, are, you know, whether it be Jeremiah or Isaiah, and there's false prophets there as well. But in the end, God will reveal uh, that, that which was a true word from him and that which wasn't. And so God uses uh, many people uh, in a sense and during this time and uh, even to some extent today to to share um, what he is about doing, but it's the word of God and and ultimately in some senses the results that, that God brings about that define what is true and what is, it, what is not. Uh, but it's not defined only uh, to... You know, the apostles, we see that uh, God is using other people as well uh, to share um, uh, what God is about to do uh, and what he is doing uh, specifically at this time in Paul's life. And, and so uh, Paul, we see, is just, he's, in a sense, eating it up and rejoicing. It is being used by him uh, to to walk with God and to uh, to prepare him and resolve him towards what uh, he is about to do. And I know in my own life, uh, there's been many a times a lay person um, has either asked me a question or said something, and uh, it's just 
that combined with what I know from God's word has just clearly <laughs> revealed something that maybe I needed to hear. And so uh, it's such a, a joy to, by faith, know that the scriptures are a rule and norm for understanding everything, uh, but God uses people and the scriptures to 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 guide us and to speak to us. And so uh, that is happening here in the early church. It still happens today. Um, uh, and I mean, this is maybe a pretty grand level uh, as in the life of Paul, but uh, even in our everyday lives, uh, God uses uh, many people uh, to, to reveal his, his will and what he is guiding us towards. Now, this Agabus guy, this isn't the first time we've heard of him. Back in chapter 11, uh, verses 27-28, it says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them was named Agabus, and stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This yeah. took place in the days of Claudius. So Agabus has been on the scene before. He's predicted correctly through the Spirit that there would be a great famine. Not that prophecy always has to do with predicting, but he did. Mm -hmm. And here, he certainly has a flair about him, doesn't he? he? He takes Paul's belt and, and, of course, to himself, not to Paul, but binds himself and really acts out what's going to happen. This is, a, you know, we think of prophets. This is very much in the style, if I can say, of some of these Old Testament prophets that really... Yeah. Um, you know, I think of Nathan, I think of others who who did things that were very, uh, I don't know, how can I say it? Just, you could you could really apprehend them. So he's tying himself up, it's an object lesson, but he's not telling him this so that he won't go. He's just telling him what the Holy Spirit's telling him to tell him, if I can repeat a phrase. The, 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 the apostles are the, I mean, sorry, the disciples are the ones who are like, ooh, we don't like this. But uh, I just think it's it's striking that, you know, he's taking his belt, he's binding his hands, uh, very visual. Yeah, it's very clear. Um, it's interesting as we get towards the end, let the will of the Lord be done. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, they have a very, it's not just uh, left to wonder, you know, what what might happen. Uh, there, there's been a very visual, concrete demonstration right before them of what God is going to do. And they have to, in the end, wrestle with, okay, that's what God is going to do. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, when they have these very visual demonstrations, you know, they just rejected it, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and God's people here are, are seeing that concrete thing and they don't want it to happen. But now they'll say, if that's your will. And, and it, Outside of them already knowing Jesus, I don't know how they get there, you know, right. but knowing what Jesus went through, the Holy Spirit enables them to say, okay, <laughs> if that's right. your will, um, we know that the victory we saw in Jesus will somehow overcome this too. I mean, I know I'm reading a little beyond, <laughs> you know, exactly what we see in the text there, but sure. um, you just, how else do you say, let the will of the Lord be done? And, uh, you know, it's such a, you know, I mean, Paul could say, well, actually this is Luke's belt. <laughs> you know, I borrowed it from him. Yeah, right. You know, but, <laughs> but, 
Paul just okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I love this you though because verse fourteen says, "And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, yeah. let the will of the Lord be done.'" So th- I think there's a little connotation here, and, and I am speculating a little mm-hmm. bit, but yeah. the since he wouldn't be persuaded suggests not just them bugging him and bugging him not to go, and then he just doesn't uh, ever give in, so they give up. I, I see this more as a back and forth. They're trying to persuade him not to go. He's retorting with perhaps this impetus that he's received from the Holy Spirit, and he's and, and I think he his... I don't say his logic, but maybe his logic, but his logic, his faith, what the Holy Spirit has given him, won the day. Once they mm-hmm. saw that he was determined, that 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 perhaps they weren't right, they ceased and they said, let the will of the Lord be done. And and how often do we need to do that? You know, we 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 try to push God's hand, we try to force our will, our plans onto whatever the situation is before us, and yet how often do we, not that we shouldn't plan, but how often do we remind ourselves at the end of the day, we want whatever God wants. We want right. the Lord's will to be done. And so I see that, yeah. they Since he wouldn't be persuaded, they they just cease. They didn't give up. They just stopped. Let the will of the Lord be done. And I don't think we want to, it's easy maybe here to settle into Paul being stubborn or something like that. Uh, I, I don't think Paul is being stubborn. I think if the Holy Spirit said, don't go, uh, yeah. he wouldn't have gone. The The Holy Spirit didn't say, don't go. You know, the Holy Spirit said, it's going to be trouble. It's going to be suffering. It's going to be difficult. Holy Spirit didn't say, Paul, don't go. The people did. (laughs) You know, that was their interpretation. But the Holy Spirit simply said, you're going to go and it's going to be trouble. And I think if the Holy Spirit, in some way, if Agabus had said, don't go by the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul probably wouldn't have gone. I I, I don't think he was being stubborn. and, And just he was determined. You know, it was... The Holy Spirit had already told him to go, and now the Holy Spirit is just telling him it's going to be difficult, it's going to be trouble, and he is preparing Paul for what is to come. Well, folks, why don't we prepare our hearts for a break? But uh, we'll be back. Don't go anywhere. When Pastor Wilms and I return, we'll keep on going through Acts chapter 21. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316.
Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Levi Wilms, Associate Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Salk Rapids, Minnesota. Friends, it's always a blessing to be in God's Word. I'm especially blessed that I have each of you with me this morning as we study the book of Acts. You know, I love hearing from guests, and I'm happy to answer any questions you have. You can reach me by email at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. You can also drop a note to say hi if you want. When you do, please let me know where you're listening from and especially how you connect to the show. I'm always interested if you're listening over the air in St. Louis, if you're downloading the show as a podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, maybe you just go online to kfuo.org and listen live or on demand. Or, and I really recommend this if you haven't tried it, maybe you're using the KFUO radio app available for iOS and Android. No matter how you're listening, I'm just glad you're here. Now, back to the Bible. Pastor Wilms, before the break, we had just gotten to the point in the text where it says, I've got to turn my page here, it says that uh, after these days, this is verse 15, we got ready and we went up Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Now, to the best of my knowledge, we don't know anything about this Nason guy, Although some manuscripts, by the way, uh, translate this guy's name as Jason. So uh, if you're uh, someone out there and you're looking to name a baby and you're thinking Jason, but you want to be more unique, here's a name for you. M-N-A-S-O-N. <laughs> Mnason. Nobody will pronounce it right for the rest of his life. But Mnason, he's a Cypriot, um, but we don't know anything about him, but that's where he's staying with them. But it's it's kind of neat. This sort of random Christian gets a mention in the Bible, you know, I mean. It just goes to show you that there, as you said earlier, really, there are so many people behind the scenes doing the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul gets all the all the attention. Uh, Barnabas uh, is even responsible in a great way for Paul's ministry, and he gets less attention. Uh, but still, uh, as much as we uh, revere Paul, and rightly so, it's good to remember that you know there are so many people behind the scenes, and and. And that's not to take anything away from Paul's bravery, but this is an example. Nason of Cyprus. Uh, anything else you want uh, the people to know before we move into the next section when Paul visits James? Well, in these two verses, maybe you can also shine a light a little bit on Luke. Um, Luke is uh, using the term we here. So in the Gospel of Acts, you kind of have times where we is used and times it's not. And you can kind of differentiate when Luke is present with Paul and when Luke is writing about things that he where he was not present. And um, we don't know for sure this could possibly be Luke's first trip to Jerusalem. Uh, there seems to be kind of, you know, he doesn't talk about getting ready and packing, you know, earlier in the text, you know, but there seems to kind of be this excitement about going to Jerusalem despite maybe what is ahead. And as Luke is becoming well aware of what Paul is going to face, uh, it has not deterred Luke from traveling with him. And then maybe in some senses too, just there is a little bit of, uh, 
we want to be careful of the idea of maybe celebrity idea, but that, you know, it's something interesting to go as Luke has spent his time with Paul amongst new converts and new churches that they've planted. Uh, now he's rubbing shoulders with, with very early disciples, those that were there at the time of Christ himself. Uh, I, you know, I think that might be some excitement. Um, we know later too, as Luke, uh, wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, he's using a lot of sources from disciples we know, from even Mary and uh, those things, but maybe, you know, Nason, I don't know how to say it, you know, but maybe even his discussion with him is source material. You know, I mean, I, we're reading a lot into it, but there is an interesting aspect there as they move towards Jerusalem. And now, again, going to meet James here in the as we read the next section, uh, there is this now meeting up and, and interacting with uh, some of those disciples that were present at the time of Christ and, and in the very early church. Well, and, and you know, people's, uh, people's attitudes haven't really changed over the centuries. So, you know, they're going to be just as awestruck by people who, you know, were there at the beginning, like you're saying, or have some yeah. sort of local celebrity status. And yeah, I think there is, it is kind of exciting. Luke wasn't one of the original 12 disciples. I think sometimes people forget that. And he's a Gentile physician. He's doing this research. So to be able to go up to someone like Nason, who's an early disciple, and say, did you know Jesus? And, and what was he like? You know, despite your faith, you still would ask those. We would ask those questions, you know. We, yeah. we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. Uh, you know, the, the, the Protestants like to talk about how we have a, a, a personal relationship with Jesus, or the evangelicals do. Well, however you want to describe it, we still don't have all the knowledge about what it was really like to sit around the table at the Lord's Supper the first time or any of those things. So, yeah, it must have been a really great and, and fascinating experience for all of them. This is the third section in Acts by which Luke starts using the word we. Um, so it, it is interesting that he's heading along, and there's a bunch of other people with them, too. Right. Um, um, there's... Uh, Luke, of course, there's Tychus and Trophimus, and there's Sopater of Berea, and there's two Ephesian believers, there's Nason, there's um, Aristarchus and Secundus, and a couple of Thessalonian believers, and Gaius and Timotheus, Timothy, uh, a couple disciples from Asia. I mean, this is a pretty big kind of party that's going on. Uh, but then again, you know, Luke can be a little excited about it because, well, it wasn't his belt wrapped around Agabus's <laughs> wrist. <laughs> Um, no, of course, they don't want anything to happen to Paul either. But, you know, it, it there's also got to be a little bit of excitement. I mean, people who have founded a church or missionaries or anybody who's faced even moderate amounts of, I guess, unknowing or danger ahead of them, it really connects them to the mission of the gospel. Like, I'm going out here and you know, like the Blues Brothers said, right? We're on a mission from God, right? So you're out there, and you're and you're doing the Lord's work, and you don't know what's going to happen. Well, just magnify that by a thousandfold, and that's what's going on in this early church. And yeah. so I think it's it's fascinating. So uh, let's move on to the next section because he's going to go visit James. Let's start with verse seventeen in chapter twenty-one. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. 
On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after greeting him, or them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. But they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands are among the Jews of those who have believed? They are all zealous for the law. But they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. What is then to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we have tell, what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you and that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Well, then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Okay, that actually ends our whole text for today, which is all the way through verse 26. Uh, so one of the things that I struggle with as I read this little visit is that certainly these accusations of Paul are not true. He's not going around telling people to forsake Moses or, or really any of these things. But at the same time, the consequences of his gospel message does free people up from some of these things. So you can also see where they got the idea. Yeah. Um, you know, help us understand kind of what's going on, why the Jerusalem folks are upset about this. And honestly, to me, it seems a little inconsistent that Paul gives in. What do you think? <laughs> Excellent. Uh you know, it's easy maybe to move really quickly off of those first few verses. There seems to be some accept, accepting of the work. Paul is telling every single thing that happened on his journeys, and the they seem to accept that um, and, and glorify God. Um, and, and so James and some of those people uh, that are present there, uh, they seem to be a separate group from those who are uh, angry with Paul and upset with Paul. Um, and as we get into this, they're trying to manage that situation. But it's interesting, um, especially verse 20, uh, you know, they glorify God, but it's like there's this awkwardness there because <laughs> they jump right into, okay, now we need to get into the issue, right? Um, yeah, that's great. Paul, all those things, and, and God is awesome that all these Gentiles, okay, but now we got some conflict, and we have a real issue we got to manage. Um, and, and it's hard to know if this is an Eighth Commandment issue, um, where the, the people are just purposefully sharing false information, um, or are they telling some people, okay, this is what Paul said to Gentiles, and then people interpreted it as this is what he's saying to everybody. Um, and, and so are, are we getting like a telephone game um, situation? 
uh, what's going on. And, and, and we don't necessarily need to know, but uh, we are landing at this place where there is a false understanding of what Paul teaches. Uh, so Paul allows for, um, he allows for Gentiles to not follow a number of the, the laws that were given uh, to, the, to the Jews, uh, but at the same time, uh, he himself practiced many of these customs. He didn't abandon everything, uh, especially when he was in Jewish context. Uh, he did not command the Jews to, to no longer follow some of those customs. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, we give from, from Paul is just an assertion on what, what makes us righteous before God. Uh, it is Jesus in whom we have trusted. It is Christ's righteousness that makes us righteous before God. And so it is fine for the Jews to practice a number of these customs, uh, not all of them, but a number of them. Uh, there are things for now that Christ has come that uh, he would say we probably should no longer do, especially as we get into, uh, as he goes to the temple. Uh, I think if he had to offer a sacrifice uh, of an animal for the forgiveness of his sins, I don't think Paul would have done that uh, because he knows the forgiveness of his sins came through the sacrifice of Christ. But there are a number of practices in the Jewish customs that he is fine to do. He's okay with doing that because it doesn't bring him righteousness before God. And there isn't a confusion of that. And so um, maybe I'm jumping too far ahead, but I do think it is interesting in here that Paul is willing to make personal sacrifice. Uh, and not to maybe get into the full application, but I, I think this is a struggle. We, I think it happens in pastor circles a lot, um, is that, uh, you know, sometimes we equate a number of things with the gospel that aren't really the gospel. And when we get into some arguments with our brothers, <laughs> Uh, you know, sometimes I, I need to know what really is the gospel. And maybe there's sometimes I can make a personal sacrifice of kind of the thing I enjoy or the thing I desire. And so, uh, you know, James has this idea, right? Okay, we're going to have you guys, we're going to have you sponsor and demonstrate and show. We want them all to know that you're okay with some of these sacrifices. And is Paul selling out? I, I don't think so. I think he is showing a will willingness to make a personal sacrifice uh, for peace in the community because it doesn't deal with the gospel itself. Yeah, um, I mean, I, it sounds like you're saying that Paul is really just living up to his own command of being all things to all people, amen. striving to connect with them in ways that doesn't offend the gospel. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about how we might apply this today, because, I mean, I see this. I, I think, so my background is such that I didn't grow up Lutheran, and one of the advantages yeah. of that is that I guess I'm, compared to some of my brothers, a little bit, it's a little bit easier for me to see Christians uh, among all these other denominations, right, yeah. um, without condemning them because they don't look and act exactly like us. Um, not that our brothers condemn them, but you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. If you only know one, I guess, flavor of Christianity, 
Sometimes it's a little difficult to see what we have in common with so many others, despite their errors, right? I do think they have yeah. errors. That's why I'm here. So I, I say that I, I would I would agree with you, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but that Paul is is kind of saying, you know, some of these things, while not required, certainly um, I don't want them to think that I'm throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, but then they send this letter to all the Gentiles, and again, it's it stands out to me because some of it's pretty good advice, <laughs> abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, what's been strangled. <laughs> now that part maybe is a little bit more law-based, and then from sexual immorality, always a good thing. A lot of people don't seem to think that the disciples or Jesus cared about sexual immorality for some reason, but they did. Right. Uh, but at the same time, how much of this is good advice, and how much of this is them burdening the Gentiles' hearts about it? So I, I don't know. It's just, it's just a, I still think it's kind of a tough section. You know, and I, I don't know what exactly comes out from, you know, the previous conversations. They I forget the chapter that the Jerusalem Council was in. Um, and some of it reflects that. I, I, I think there was always some debate behind the scenes on this list. Uh, and I think somewhere in there, I, I think Paul, uh, representing the Gentiles and those with him, I think, somewhere along the line, they sort of said, you know, these don't put undue burden on Gentiles. You know, they, they should be able to agree to these things. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily creating a new law for them, especially you get like the, the, um, not eating those that were strangled or something, you know, uh, I think, I think that's for the peace between Jew and Gentile relations in a lot of ways. There's, yeah, we can we can do that. I mean, we don't need to to create extra offense uh, amongst our Jewish brothers by doing those things, you know. And so there's always kind of in the backdrop this we're trying to meld together very different cultures of, of Jew and Gentile, and uh, it's. We don't want to sacrifice the gospel, but there should always be a little bit of willingness to sacrifice my own personal preference. And and I think that's, as you kind of talk about different uh, denominations and different, even in our own church body, um, there are doctrinal things that are important to the gospel. There are some things that if we're honest, we maybe make a tad more doctrinal than it really is. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a good, lively debate that we should have. Um, but there is a spirit that we see in Paul to sacrifice his own freedoms or his own, um, or maybe some of the expressions he might prefer, right, for the good of the body. And... Um, and there was always a balance because I think you do that too much and maybe we do sacrifice the gospel. But I think Paul kind of walks an interesting line here. And I don't think he's selling out at all. I think he's willing to set aside his his pride, uh, in a sense, to 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 demonstrate to the people that uh, he has love for the Gentiles and he also has love for for the Jewish believers. And um, 
I, I think it's pretty, it's something that we can meditate on personally, uh, as far as how do we stay true to the gospel in all things, but how do we not let our personal uh, wants and desires stand in the way of what's good for the body? Yeah, that Jerusalem Council, which was back in Acts 15, you know, it attended by, you know, the elders and the apostles, uh, there were churches there had representatives, Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James and others. So, so we see here that it's not, uh, they're not being inconsistent with what they had already decided either, because it was back yep. then that they said the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to keep the whole law of Moses because they're still shifting from this, I mean, very long understanding that one had to earn their way before God. Right. But, you know, still abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, blood, meat, strangled animals, and sexual immorality. Um, mm -hmm. But, see, even the church today is going to say you need to abstain from sexual immorality. You should abstain from worshiping idols. You know, it, there's still—how can I say it? Uh, behaviors that are incumbent upon the one who wants to live in the faith. Whether they do it perfectly or not, obviously, is not—well— Nobody does it perfectly, but it, it's, it's not like there's a measuring stick where we're saying, well, you're not perfect enough, but it doesn't keep us from saying, in our culture, here is how the Christian should live. Right. And I think there's a little bit of application for us, too, that the Church has authority greater than just going around telling people Jesus loves you. The Church has authority to proclaim the, the whole counsel of God, which often includes thou shalts and thou shalt not. Yeah, and Jesus calling us to follow him means that uh, I have to die. <laughs> you know? and, and so that means my life is going to change. And uh, and it's interesting, you read through the scriptures, the Jews had to change as they followed Jesus. And the Gentiles had to change as they followed Jesus. And so, uh, an Acts is an incomplete account. Uh, there is so much more that happens in the early church as we continue on, but the, the church has to work out these things so that the, the new identity as we all gather together under the authority of God's word is going to direct what uh, our lives look like. Now, some of those things don't change. They're a part of the natural law, um, but there are customs and things that we grow up with that when we hold up to the, the, the scriptures and to the authority of the church, um, I, I'm called to change, <laughs> um, to deny, to my, deny, die to my own preferences and wants and to live uh, as, as God directs. And it's interesting that that comes up in light of this text because Paul <laughs> is willing to sacrifice everything um, uh, to go to Jerusalem and to follow where the Holy Spirit directs. Um, and so it's kind of crazy for any of us or for the Gentiles or the Jews uh, to, to hold up, well, I don't want to do that, or that's not how I've always done it. Um, no, when the gospel calls, we go. And where the Holy Spirit leads, uh, uh, we follow in that mold. Yeah, so Paul says that, you know, he became as one under the law to reach those under the law, and we see that happening here. 
Verse 26, which is the last verse of our reading. We've already read it, but to hear it again, Then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So this sort of is the segue into tomorrow's lesson, but... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, I, uh, and well, it really and, is. Yeah, it's very much a uh, cliffhanger because... I can go ahead and say the next verse is when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia seeing in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. So, you know, he even his notification that he's trying to do the right thing just gives opportunity to those who are opposed to him to say, hey, now we know when he's going to be back here to present the offerings. Let's be ready for him. So poor Paul, even in his attempts to all things to all people so that he could reach some, uh, well, ends up giving more opportunity to get his rear end whooped by somebody. And that seems to be Paul's MO, I'm afraid. Which I think is such an important point because, okay, we just got done talking. He's willing to sacrifice for the peace, you know, but he already knew it wasn't going to work. And he still did it. Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, that's mind boggling. I, you know, for us. The Holy Spirit had said over and over again, you're going to have trouble and you're going to be bound. And he still did it, you know, and and this is where we do see kind of that typology of him, him mirroring Jesus's trip to Jerusalem. (laughs) And it, it, don't want to conflate the two. They are different, but you know, uh, he, he is giving us a picture of a willingness to follow where his Lord went. And it's, it's, it's encouraging. No, absolutely. I know it's just, I, it's one of those things where as we look at it, we can connect what he experiences to Jesus's. I don't think it's a contrivance by Luke. I just think it yeah. it ends up being what the walk of the Christian looks like. I think yeah. we could take any faithful Christian and make connections and comparisons to the walk of Christ. At least you kind of want to be able to do that. <laughs> your, your life should reflect Christ's life in some way. And unfortunately, that includes sometimes suffering too. And, and you know, there is such an important lesson here. He gives in, in a way. I don't think sells out. I like how you uh, characterized it, but he he does what the people want him to do to appease the crowds, and yet there are people in the crowds who will never be appeased. It's those same people of whom Jesus said, even if someone should rise from the dead, they'll never believe. And there are just some people like that, and we see that going on. Uh, Last few minutes in the show, brother, anything else you want the folks to know before we wrap up today? You know, I guess maybe bringing back to just kind of a a, a takeaway point or something, uh, it it is not healthy for a Christian uh, to be one who chooses suffering. I mean, I don't think that's what Paul is doing, but we choose to do God's will, whether it involves suffering or not, you know, and, and, especially when we know by the Holy Spirit that that suffering will be involved. A lot of times we don't. 
uh, but he, he has told us in this world, you will have trouble. Um, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so uh, we choose to God's will, to do God's will. And uh, whether it's suffering or not, and if we suffer, uh, well, then do God's will. <laughs> you yeah, know, right, exactly. and, um, you know, we're not a people that retaliate. We're not a people that uh, leave God's will because uh, suffering, uh, it entails suffering. But uh, he simply calls us to, to follow and when suffering comes, continue to follow. And we see that carried out in the life of Paul at this time. Well, many thanks to my guest this morning, the Reverend Levi Wilms, Associate Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota now. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. As I alluded to earlier, folks, tomorrow we're going to catch up with Paul at the end of his seven days of purification, but things aren't as they seem. Some Jews from Asia are stirring up the crowd, accusing him of teaching against the law and bringing Gentiles into the holy place. So they seize Paul and they try to kill him. But the Roman commander intervenes and rescues him. And as Paul is being taken to the barracks, he asks for permission to speak to the people. The commander actually grants him the request. And Paul addresses them in Hebrew, telling them what he's been up to. We'll hear what happens tomorrow. Folks, until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. Thank you.